Thank you, Mike, very much. Good morning, everyone, and to those of you who are online, welcome to you as well. If you'll take your Bibles, please turn once again to the book of 1 John, chapter 2. Lord willing, we should wrap up this section today. The doubters among you notwithstanding, no, we should... uh, easily do that. We are going to, though, read this entire section one more time uh, so that we have the framework for the comments today, which are centered, (coughs) excuse me, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. So uh, if you're able, please, to stand for the reading of God's holy word, please join me as I read, beginning at verse 26 of 1 John chapter 2. Hear the word of the Lord. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has been taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence, and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. God adds his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Please be seated. So this section, uh, we have wrapped up under the, the umbrella idea or thought of abiding without deceit. Abiding without deceit, which seems to be uh, a a theme that unites all of these uh, various things together that John has brought to our attention here. And it began, as we noted, with the foundation of the Lord abiding in you, abiding in you to instruct you, to set you apart unto himself, really setting the, the whole foundation for your holiness and your standing and righteousness before, the, uh, before him, based upon his choice, his enablement, his calling, 
his bringing you unto himself and then abiding in you as uh, he does so through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then we noted uh, as we move towards the center of this section, the necessity of once uh, we have been regenerated and he is abiding in us, well, we must endeavor uh, to abide in him as well in obedience, abiding confidently, not uh, wondering uh, from day to day uh, if uh, he is who he says he is and if he's done what he says he's done, but abiding in real confidence in that what he has begun, he was begun a good work in you, is faithful and just also to bring that work to completion. And we noted that that confidence has a second coming when he appears uh, that is referring to his second coming, that, that aspect of we're looking forward in that confidence, not just kind of hanging on and figuring that, well, eventually we're, we're just going to, going to fail. No, uh, when he appears, we want to have that confidence. That's what we're looking for. And abiding in honor, not in shame, the opposite of shame, uh, but uh, because um, if we are truly abiding in him, we will not be in the practice of sinning, but rather the practice of righteousness, which is a big uh, concept here in the center portion of this passage, of practicing righteousness or doing righteousness. And we looked at this uh, last time when we compared this term practice of righteousness to the the terminology we use with medicine or with law, the practice of medicine or the practice of law, the, the, uh, the necessity in those professions of constantly learning, constantly being ready, constantly ad- adjusting to new things that are coming down the pike, whether it's in technology or knowledge or precedent or whatever else. Uh, They're not static things. Well, righteousness is not a static thing either. Your righteousness is not just, well, okay, uh, I've been been declared righteous in Christ, so therefore I don't have to worry about it anymore. No, there's constant challenges, constant temptations, constant strivings against the weakness of our flesh and the temptations of the world around us that we constantly have to be on our guard, adjusting and and renewing our commitment to abide in his righteousness, in holiness, being uh, uh, lawful in our actions, uh, recognizing that in this life, uh, we're not resting on our laurels, we're not resting on our righteousness, because uh, we do not have any innate, inherent righteous, righteousness. Uh, I was working this morning, our chapter with the... Uh, with the communicants class this morning was on the, the really simple concept of original sin. And uh, we're talking about that whole idea with the young people and, and they have a pretty good grasp on, on what sin is and that idea of the corruption of our flesh that came as because we fell in Adam. So we had to have um, uh, someone else become our second Adam and represent us in righteousness, and of course the Lord Jesus Christ absolutely did that and did that perfectly, and his righteousness then is posted to our account to satisfy the debt that we owe our Lord. He did that in his first coming. We saw that there last time. 
And then we wrapped up talking about righteousness as a relational concept and that it also reveals who we are, really. Our righteousness, or the lack thereof, reveals in whom we are abiding. And so when we take all that into account, we come to the heart of this passage in verses 1 through 3, and we, we can understand here that this abiding that the Lord does in us and the abiding that we do in turn as we respond to him is a transformative thing. You know, those who were trying to deceive the church were trying to say different things about the Lord Jesus Christ. They were, they were denying his deity or they were denying his humanity or they were making him some kind of confused hodgepodge of deity and man that is contrary to what the word says about him, what Christ said about himself and what he revealed about himself in, in every action that he did. And this confusion that the deceivers were bringing into the church was, um, it was becoming kind of a watershed, not kind of, it was becoming a watershed issue as to who were really gods and who were not. And John's contention here is that basically, if I could boil it down into one sentence, um, it'll be obvious who you belong to based on the nature of whether you're really transformed or not. Take a look at verse 1 of chapter 3. We just sang a few minutes ago how deep the Father's love for us. And it truly is a beautiful, beautiful song and, and a marvelous text of wonder at the love that God has shown to us. And that really is reflected Uh, is reflecting what we see here in in God's word. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. This whole uh, abiding process is bathed in love. It begins in love. And it begins with the Father's love for us. Truly, He loved us before we loved Him. And as Paul says in Romans chapter 5, God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This great love is the foundation of our abiding and remaining in him with confidence and honor unto the time of his second appearing. So this transformation is not something that uh, should be, though sometimes we try to make it this way, it should not be something that is motivated by the things that we're going to talk about here in a moment. How's that for being obscure and obtuse? <laughs> I'm gonna kind of hate to give it all away, right? But I want you to keep that in mind because what happens is when, think about it, when you need to ch- change something. We we're talking about change in Sunday school today, right? When we want to change some things. We want to transform things. What motivates that transformation? What, you know, a, an agenda that we might have? Uh, socially? 
uh, well, it's all agendas. Agendas socially, agendas politically, agendas financially, agendas positionally, agendas relationally. Right? We want to fix things. We talk about we want, if something needs to be fixed, and people try to fix things by the strength of their own arm. We're going to fix this. But God starts with the transformation process, not with the agendas of fixing all of these little things. He starts with the agenda of his love, pure, simple, unmerited love that he pours out upon his children to bring them to himself. And the other things then follow. If you don't have love to begin with, you end up with what we're talking about there in Sunday school, burning businesses, trashing cities, doing all that kind of stuff. Because there's no love. It's all self. But God starts with love. And that really kind of, in the heart of it, in a sense, it kind of goes back to that initial foundational thing we talked about, the Father abiding in us. It starts with Him. That's where it begins. And, and when that love is present there, this great love that the Father has shown to us in, in calling us to Himself, in renewing us, transforming us, well, then, some of these other things do come into play. For example, uh, look, this, this love that the Father has given to us, this is an amazing thing that we should be called the children of God. When you genuinely are abiding in Him and He is genuinely abiding in you, it transforms you, beloved, in your status. You're no longer a slave you're no longer an enemy. You're his child. The much beloved child. Because he loved us, he sent his son to die for us. And he regenerates us and gives us the ability to call out to him in faith and trust him. We can now run to him and crying out, Abba, Father our dear, loving Father that did everything necessary to bring us to himself. So it transforms us in our status that we're the children of God, and so we are. The reason the world does not know us, verse 1 says, is that it did not know him. The status, and then this next thing that uh, is quite quite closely related to it, is the matter of your identity. Your identity. You know, when we look at the unrest of our world, uh, a big part of that is all centered around identity. Who we are. Whether it's gender, or ethnicity, or nationality, or political parties, or you name it. Any other, any other things that that we say, this is who I am. When we are away from Christ, when we are not following him, when, we're, when our faith and hope is in ourselves, our identity is all about us. If we do reach out as human beings to some other higher power, I'll just put that in quotes there, it's, to a substitute for the one true and living God. Whether it's the devil himself or any number of other of his artificial saviors and messiahs that 
he has uh, uh, encouraged the creation of in the minds of fallen men. But in Christ, when we are abiding in him, our identity changes. The, the genuine and the deceiver can be clearly seen who we really are. The world doesn't know us, doesn't recognize the identity because it doesn't recognize him. I think all of us have probably at some time or the other uh, run into somebody, a young person, who's the child of somebody that you you knew way back when, for those of us who have been around a while. You haven't seen the kid in a long time. This just happened yesterday at the sidewalk or at the car show. Um, A young lady walked up to a guy I was talking to, and he goes, oh, you must be a so-and-so, the last name. And she's like, yeah. He recognized the signs, facial features, who knows whatever else he was seeing in her, but uh, he recognized the signs because he knew her parents. You know, if the world looks at you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and thinks you're a nut, um, all that is telling you is that they don't know your father. They don't know how to identify you. All they can do is identify you in comparison to what? Themselves. Because they're the standard for themselves. That's all that they know. But when you're abiding in Christ and he's abiding in you, it changes you. And your identity is different. Um, Now, I never, I think most everybody here knows I was adopted. But I was adopted very early, so I never knew my birth parents. So I didn't have this identity crisis, you know, between my former identity and and all of that. But uh, I have had through the years I was growing up, people um, look down upon me. This was... I don't think it's this way so much anymore. I think adoption has definitely gone up in people's estimation. But for it seemed like for a while there, that was seemed like it seemed like it was a second class citizen status, and uh, it was was rather irksome. But nonetheless, um, I was very happy to say I'm a pine because I knew the nature of my mom and dad. Okay. Um, so my, that's where my identity is. I haven't spent my life, uh, recently in the last couple of decades, I suppose, I've thought about, well, you know, birth parents and so on, but I've never gone, well, I'm a Hensley, which would be my birth mother's name. Um, no, I'm a Pine. That's who I'm identified with because I'm abiding in that family. I didn't say, well, you know what? This was fun, mom and dad. I'm going to go be somebody else. No, I'm abiding there. They're abiding with me. Thanks for sticking with me all these years. But that that creates the identity of of who I am. Um, So it's transformative. It begins with God's love. Our status Children of God, no longer slaves. Our identity, we are His. And, it, and, and we can be known to be His and should be known to be His. But look at verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, 
because we shall see him as he is. I love the way that this section, as John brings all of these things to a head here in, this, in, in the heart of this passage, he takes us from God's work to a change in status, to a change in our identity, and now brings us to the practical ramifications of that. You know, if, I, I, I don't, this isn't too personal or whatever, but I'll go on with the adoption thing here. It's fine for me to say I'm a pine. That's fine. Okay, good. It's on my driver's license, you know, and all the other forms of ID that I have. Uh, and I got a lot of them. And they all agree that that's my name. Okay, fine. But the fact of the matter is, is that at the end of the day, does it really matter what name is on the license? Now, as long as it's mine, No. But my mom and dad worked hard through their life to prepare for the end of theirs and for the future of our family. And uh, though I think it's fair to say that we've never been wealthy, we've always had enough. And now the Lord, uh, as has blessed us with a life that we're able to start thinking, we've been thinking about passing on to our kids and grandkids some of the things that began with my parents and so on. Now, I don't want to come across like we're all self-seeking money grubbers and just waiting, you know, to read the will, okay? That's not what's happening. But I think we all recognize that part of being in a family and having that connection and that identity and that status, recognize that there are certain privileges that come along with that, certain expectations that come along with that. I have an expectation, in other words, of an inheritance. Just as my children, if the Lord should tarry, could have an expectation of an inheritance from us. So there's a hope that goes along with this. We are not as those who wander through life without hope. But because we know God and we are with God and have a knowledge of God, we have hope in this world. We are not as those who walk in despair. What we will ultimately be, what that inheritance will ultimately look like, We've got an inkling of it. I mean, we've got some things in the scriptures that give us a hint of some of the, gives us some hints about what that inheritance is going to look like with eternal life and blessing and joy and service and glory and all those things. But to grasp what all is involved there, and I don't, I can't, I don't know what it's all going to be, but I have a hope that my father has planned things out pretty well for me. What did Jesus tell his disciples? You don't know where I'm going, I'm, but I, I need to go. And they were kind of, dis, remember, they were kind of distressed that he was saying he's going to have to leave them. He said, I, where I'm going, I'm going to prepare 
a place for you. And eventually, you're going to get there. Eventually, you're going to possess that place that I'm going when I go to the Father to prepare it for you. And that is our hope. We, we don't know what all that's going to look like. But we know that it's going to be incredible. Because it's based upon, again, His love and His abiding with us. This this precious verse that uh, most of us, I would expect, know and have quoted lots of times in our lives. And verse 2 there, when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now we can look at the scriptures and we can have a comprehension of who Christ is and what he's like. Uh, but to really comprehend that is beyond us. But this incredible promise that we will be like him, certainly in these things, sinless and with a determination to stay that way, an ability to stay that way, which we know we do not possess right at the moment. Glory, uh, no longer subject to the limitations of time and space, and able to worship and able to know in incredible oneness with God that we only have a taste of now. These things at least. And more we may hope in. The hope here is fulfilled in him as, as he abides in us and we abide in him. It transforms us from those who are walking in despair, those who are without God, without hope in the world, to those who have hope. What a blessing to know that that transformation is taking place. And then, verse 3, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So this goes from foundational love of God to our, our, our change in status and identity and the practice of our lives in hope and honor and confidence. Verse 3 wraps it all up with, it transforms you. This genuine abide, abiding transforms you in your conduct. Hope's not only fulfilled, it's his hope as it's lived out. That like Moses, who had it all there in Egypt as the adopted son of Pharaoh, but rather than enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season, chose rather to suffer with the people of God because of the hope that he had in God's ultimate promises that transcended anything that the world had to offer. And so he set himself apart unto God's people and to the service of God. It's the same idea, same concept here of as we have that hope, we purify ourselves even as he is pure. This goes along with everything that we've seen so far in this passage about those who are in Christ, those who are abiding in him, are not those who continue to practice sinning, to go on habitually sinning uh, as a characteristic of their life. No, that ends. 
There's a change. There's the doing of righteousness. There's the practice of righteousness that's constant, that, that is constantly adjusting to temptations and challenges and afflictions and all of that with a determination that says, I am Christ. I will be like him. I know that I am going to be like him ultimately, but now I'm going to live in a way that is, by his grace, worthy of him and who he is. If we have that hope, we will strive to walk in purity before God and man. If purity and righteousness is not a priority for you, I don't know what you're hoping in, but it's not God. Bottom line, according to the book of John, 1 John here. Because if we have the hope that we will be united to Him without shame, with confidence, with joy, if we have that, we're going to live that way. In, in a way, uh, this, this section here is not all that, there's nothing really complicated here. In some ways, though there's profundity under it when it comes to the love of God and how all that works with us, at the, at the end of the day, it's your, your, your fruit, the fruit of your life will demonstrate the reality of what's in your heart. Bottom line. Bottom line. It's very easy to claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ, particularly in the company of others who uh, claim him. But it's quite another thing for that claim to be genuine. Your Lord has remained faithful to you Remain faithful to Him. The evidence of that remaining or that abiding will be obvious. So abide in the Lord without deceit. Neither deceiving yourself, deceiving others, or foolishly attempting to deceive our Lord. Abiding Him honestly with honor and be transformed. By his power. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace. A grace that strengthens us, encourages us, helps us, Lord, to walk day by day. For Lord, we do not have the, the strength to stand, but with the armor that you give us, we can stand, withstanding the, the fiery darts of the wicked, and by, by faith and in hope, Lord, walk holy and righteously in this world. Lord, let that righteousness be characteristic of all of our lives as we hope in you. Thank you for remaining with us. Help us to remain in you for your glory and our good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You'll take your uh, uh, hymnals once again and turn to 496. Let's sing a, what I hope is a personal testimony for everyone here. Testimony of your love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's sing it unto him uh, with all of our hearts. 496, my Jesus, I love thee. 496. Standing as you're able.
I'll say.